Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. You know, you've probably noticed over the last few weeks that we have uh, changed up a little bit what we're doing. We, we're having some staff members come and announce and uh, pray. And, and man, I tell you, I, I love, I love just being able to be out there and worship and you just come up here to preach. I think it's fantastic because we got such a talented group of people here uh, that, of course, do our praise and worship. And Stacy, and then Randy today, and missions, and, and Jeremy, and Philip, and, and Jason, and all of our support staff, and. Man, what a blessing for me to be able to worship with you guys. And I have to worry about when I come up, when I sit down. And, and I just, I love it. It's just been really neat for me to be out there. And uh, I hope it's good for you to hear from our our pastors more often and what's going on in different ministries. So it's, I think it's a neat, neat change. I want to give you just something real quick before I jump in and begin to preach this morning. Uh, we've been talking. Go ahead and pull that first picture up, Wanda. We've been talking about some facility expansion. Uh, we've been praying a lot about it, doing a lot of work. I showed these pictures several weeks ago and asked you to pray. And I'm, I'm showing them to you again just to remind you very quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but we're uh, praying through, expanding in here, knocking out and building a big lobby out there, building a big children's uh, area on kind of the grassy area on the other side of the original um, uh, chapel. So this is kind of a picture from the parking lot of what the new lobby would look like. And go to the next picture. Looking into the lobby, the new lobby from the current uh, uh, parking lot, the children's building. Go back. Wow, you're going fast. Ooh, rapid fire. It's okay. Uh, children, the new children's building, which is much needed. I mean, the growth in our children's department last year is phenomenal. Uh, literally hundreds of kids and all the young families that come, we need that space. And then one more slide. The kind of the front, the left side is the, the facade and the new lobby of the sanctuary of sanctuary expansion. Then in the middle is the current chapel. We'll put a facade over that. And then the new children's building on the right. This is a, I hope you've been praying about this. Um, and I hope you understand what a big deal this is for our church. I mean, just look around. I mean, it's time change Sunday and, and there's hardly a seat in here at 930. 11 will be full. Um, what a fantastic opportunity the Lord has given us at this church. He just keeps sending people to us. New family after new family. And I met several new couples last week visiting for the first time. And here's the bottom line for us. God is sending these people to us. We've got to be good stewards of that. And if it means we add some additional space, we just add it. You know, we just say, you know, we're going to bite the bullet and do, it, do what it takes and make it happen. Because we've we got to continue to reach the loss for Christ. We've got to continue to reach this area for Jesus, whatever that takes. And so we've been praying about it and working, and, and we've gotten to this point. This is a very workable, doable, affordable plan for us. And so we're going to give you the chance. Now, go to the next slide. This coming Wednesday night and then next Sunday. This Wednesday at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Next Sunday at 2 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Come to either one of those or both and ask questions. Okay, we, we hadn't broken ground yet. We hadn't, we hadn't done anything yet. We're just still praying and thinking we've got a pretty good conceptual plan and are working towards some specifics. But we want to give you the chance to answer these questions, to ask these questions and us answer them. You can ask any question you want to ask. Um, the, the floor will be open. Um, you just come and, and listen. I'll go into a lot more detail about what we're thinking about doing, give a lot more pictures, talk about this a little bit more, what it's going to look like, uh, and think through that with you a little bit, and then answer any questions you have. So you be in prayer for this, please. If you have questions Wednesday, Sunday, come. We'll answer those questions and you can hear more about all the Lord's doing, okay? Exciting times for us. Uh, We have an opportunity to really impact generations ahead of us. You understand that, right? 
This building was built by a generation of people. Many of them aren't still with us. And they sacrificed. You can sit in that seat you're sitting in right now. And they gave blood, sweat, and tears for this church, literally. And we look back upon almost 50 years of history and we see the men and women that came before us and what they did and what they accomplished. And I think, how will we be remembered in 50 years? What facilities will our grandchildren be sitting in because we gave blood, sweat, and tears for this church? How many thousands of people will be reached over the next decade or two or three or four because of what this group decides to do? It's a big deal and I want to be part of it. I think the Lord's doing some pretty cool things and I'm excited just to plunge ahead and follow him to reach the world for Christ. Okay, enough of that. It's exciting. We'll talk more about it Wednesday and Sunday. Let me pray for us now so we can get into the scriptures. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for growth, for young families, for children. Uh, Lord, for great things happening at this church. Father, we understand that with, uh, with these challenges come great opportunities, Father, but also come very big decisions. And so above all things, we want to honor you, Lord. And we want to honor your calling and your vision for this church. Uh, we want to follow the truth of your word. We want to make wise, godly, biblical decisions in this process. And so, Lord, you just be with us. You, you inform us. You help us to think and understand and be clear, Lord. Uh, Lord, just continue to cast a vision to our leadership and to our people to reach the world for Christ. And then, Lord, just give us the courage to do whatever it takes, Father, to reach the people that continually come, to reach the person that hadn't yet come, to reach the person, Father, that may never come unless we reach out to them, Father. Just give us the desire and the ability to push ahead, to press on for your honor and glory. Father, I pray for our time this morning. As we open the truth of Scripture, speak clearly to us. Lord, work in our hearts, work in our lives. May we be transformed, Father, through this study more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We are continuing our study this morning, our sermon series we've entitled Faith in Action. And we say this every week. I'm going to continue to say it because I want you to hear it. James is extremely practical in what he says. And he demands that your faith has action. Christianity is not a passive sport. (laughs) I heard somebody this week talking about famous people in history. And he made an interesting point that fit along nicely with what we're saying. And he was talking about these people in history and what they've accomplished. And And he said this. He said, we know people like Henry Ford... And Henry Ford is famous not because of what he knew, but because of what he did. Right? Thomas Edison is not famous because of what he knew. He's famous because of what he did. And, and on and on the list goes throughout history. Right? People that we know and, and, and look back upon, we remember them because of what they accomplished, what they did, not just what they thought. And I thought, you know, that's, that's the truth with our scripture, with, with, with this scripture and with this study and with our lives. It, it, it's certainly about what we know, but it's about what we do. Are your actions indicating that you are who you say you are? So I thought it'd be really fun this morning, and this I'm kind of... Harkening back to my teaching days to have a pop quiz, right? Who doesn't love a pop quiz? Okay, it's not going to be graded, so that's good news, right? You're like, you don't have to write it down even, but I'm going to ask you four questions. I want you to answer them in your mind. Number one, what's one way you've lived out your faith this week? 
you want to, this is funny, you're going to really sweat when I tell you this. I decided not to do it, but in my original notes, I said, let's have everybody stand up, get into small groups for two minutes, and you tell somebody what you did this week to live out your faith. And I was like, no, I scratched that out. No, let's not do that. Let's just think about it where we are. But I'm going to challenge you, I may do that in a couple of weeks, so you be ready, right? What's one thing you've done this week to live out your faith? That's question number one, right? Number two. How have you put your faith into action specifically this week, maybe in ways you hadn't before, right? So, so what's something new maybe you've done to put your faith into action? Question number three, what's one area that you've been passive in that you should have been active in? That's a good one. Like, yeah, you know, I should have done this. I should have done this or I should have done that. I didn't. I was very passive. I need to be more active. And then the fourth question, how will you be active or more active this week, right? So what's the one thing you're going to do? You say, I should have done it last week. I should have been doing it in the past. I've never done it before. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to be active in this one area in ways that I haven't been active before. And just to be very clear, we should on a regular basis take the truth of God's word, compare it to our lives, and make changes in our lives. You understand that, right? Like the Lord says, I need to do these things. I'm not doing them. Maybe I need to start doing them. Or the Lord says, I shouldn't be doing these things that I'm doing. Maybe I need to stop doing them. Like constantly evaluating, reevaluating, as James says, looking in the mirror and comparing, right, our reflection to the reflection of God's Word. So, so what are you doing to be active? Now, James is going to challenge us this morning in a way that he hadn't really challenged us before. And this is a, a very kind of a difficult idea because I think it's going to be near and dear to our hearts. James is going to challenge us this morning, we'll walk through this text together, with the idea of loving the world versus loving the things of the Lord. And I think you're going to find yourself in in maybe one of the two categories, but my guess is, more than likely, you're going to find yourself kind of skirting this line, walking this tightrope right in the middle of two. We'll get there here in just a few minutes, okay? Let's jump in. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James does what he typically does he kind of hits us hard asks us a very difficult question and then kind of thinks through it unpacks it a little force in the next few verses James 4 verse 1 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you what a, what a great question to begin this morning is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and you do not have so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Here's truth number one. We're going to list it and then think about it. Our selfish desires lead to fighting. Now, you could change that word fighting to disagreements or quarrels or arguments or whatever word you want to use. But but the, the point of these first few verses is that our selfishness leads us to have quarrels and fighting with other people. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand again. I wouldn't call on you. But has anybody in here ever had a quarrel or a fight with somebody? Anybody? Yeah? Somebody be thinking, yeah, on the way to church this morning, I had a quarrel. Uh, that's kind of, we understand, we understand quarrels, right? But James kind of puts it in a different light. He wants us to think a little about it. He says, what causes these quarrels, right? Why do we fight 
with each other. Why do we argue with each other? Then he answers the question in the second part of verse 1. Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here's what James says. The reason you fight and quarrel and get angry is because you're selfish and you want to get what you want to get. James says, when we become selfish and we desire our own passions and we have our own wants and we're not concerned about anybody else, those things lead us to fighting. Those things lead us to quarreling. Those things lead us to have disagreements, right? Now, let's remember from last week or a couple of weeks ago. James talked about this idea of selfish ambition and jealousy in James chapter 3 verse 14. And if you remember, he said, listen, when you're selfish and you're jealous, that causes disunity and discord and problems. And he, he contrasted that, remember, with godly leadership. Godly leadership that, that brings humility and, and meekness and goodness and patience. We, we kind of, we talk through those things, right? But James is just, he's reminding us this morning that when we are selfish, when we want what we want, oftentimes it brings conflict. Now, if you have children, or you're maybe in the midst of grandchildren or aunts and uncles or what small kids in your life on some level you understand this idea of fighting and it's kind of a simplified level with kids because two kids will be playing they'll want the same toy and what do they do mine 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 you ever had a kid do that they're just they're fighting over a toy and it seems so silly to us why would you fight over that silly little block? Why would you, why would you fight over that silly little toy? Right? We laugh at kids because of their simplicity until we don't get what we want. And then all of a sudden, we're not very happy about it, are we? I had the opportunity this week to go to a pastor's conference. I was gone for several days, and I love this particular conference. Amy goes with me because there's a, there's a whole session for pastors, and there's a whole session for their wives. And so she goes and does training while I do training. It's fantastic. And we were coming home Friday afternoon. We stopped for lunch. Amy and I didn't have an argument, by the way, at lunch. I'm not going there. So just y'all like, what? What? No, we do argue, but not a lot because she's so wonderful, and I would never dispute anything she ever says. So. <laughs> So we go to eat lunch, and we get, we get out of lunch, and we go get in the car, and we're leaving the parking lot, and these two trucks kind of pull in the parking lot. They just pull in one behind the other, and the first guy just stops. You know, he kind of gets right into the parking lot and just stops. And so the other guy is kind of, he's barely in the parking lot, but maybe a little bit, the tailgate's kind of hanging out in the road. And, and you can tell the guy behind the, the first guy's not real happy, so he kind of puts it in reverse and then tries to pull around him. And as he's trying to pull around, the first guy decides he's going to back into the parking place. And in order to back in, he's got to swing way out into the, you know, and then he's got to back in. And so he just kind of blocks everything and the other guy tries to come around him. All of a sudden there's these two pretty large trucks blocking everything. Well, I've already pulled out and I'm, I'm literally facing. I can see both of them. I've just got this front row view for what's going to happen for the next two minutes. Well, guy in the back, you know, starts handing horn. And you can tell he puts in, puts in drive and puts in reverse. And, you know, you can just see his face. Guy in truck number one is a little more calm and, 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 and as he's kind of backing in. He just very kindly gives him some hand gestures, you know, and, and love and... And so this is, this is not good, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. How silly is this, right? That they're fighting over a parking place. Until I go to Walmart and somebody cuts me off and gets my parking place, right? 
It's real easy when the shoe's on the other foot to be calm and relaxed. But James says, listen, when, when you don't get what you want, it leads to problems and anger and bitterness and jealousy and disputes. And sometimes we argue and war within because we don't get what we want. Now imagine with me just for a second. This is going to be impossible to imagine, I know. But just imagine if you served and gave of yourself in selflessness all the time. Imagine men, and you're going to laugh, imagine if you just did everything your wife ever asked you to do. You wouldn't have any problems, would you? You wouldn't have any anger. There wouldn't be any bitterness. Stop looking at your husband's wife. Stop. I need you to look up here at me. Y'all are like, wives, imagine if you gave of yourselves always to your husband, right? And you weren't selfish. What if your, what if your marriage, let's just start with marriage. What if your marriage was kind of dictated by this idea, we're just going to serve each other always, could you imagine the, the, the problems and the conflict that that would cut down on? But here, here's the problem, right? We don't, we don't see ourselves as the problem. We see the other person as the problem. Right? Well, Lord, I mean, if you'd fix her, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened. If you'd work in her life, wives, if you'd work in his life, Lord, if you do that. But I want, you to, I want you to listen to what James says. This is, this is important for us. Look at verses 2. Pull verse 2 up if you would for me. Or what's the answer to this, right? James gives it to us. You desire and you don't have, so you murder, you covet, and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here it is. You do not have, why? Because you do not ask. Now verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Here's what James says. James says, listen, the answer to quarrels and jealousy and anger, first of all, is prayer. But the prayer ought to be done in such a way that you're praying not for your own selfish desires, but for what the Lord wills in your life. You understand the difference, right? James says, you ask, right? Sometimes you do pray, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Why? To spend it on your passions. Lord, if you just fix her, we'd have no problems in our marriage. And you kind of list out all she's doing wrong. Well, you just this, 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 and she's, well, we should do it this way. And never one time considering, maybe I'm the one that needs to change a little bit. Maybe I'm the one that's being selfish. I'm reminded of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he, he commands his disciples and his followers. When you pray, he says, pray like this. And we know this by heart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, be your name. Your kingdom come, your what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Lord, it's your will, right? So when I pray, I shouldn't pray on my own desires and my own will and my own jealousy and my own selfishness and my personal passions. I ought to be praying for what the Lord wills in my life. So, Lord, my wife and I have been having problems, you may say, or I've been struggling with this person at work, or students, you may say, I've got a teacher I don't like, or this guy I sit with at lunch, or whatever. Lord, would you help me, first of all, be Christ-like in this moment and live for you when I'm frustrated? Can we begin with me? (laughs) Father, can you give me the strength and the courage to make changes in my own life? Make me aware of my own jealousy, of my own selfishness. And and Lord, I do want you to work in this other person's life, but more than that, Father, work in my life. Not my will, not my passions, but your will, your passions, Lord. Now, so James is talking to this group of people now. 
He's talking to this group of people that war and quarrel and fight and are unhappy. And I want you to listen. Look at verse 4. Let's continue. Look at how he explains or describes these people. You remember how sometimes he's talked to us as brothers, right? Not this time. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. (laughs) Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What a, what a powerful statement, verse, verse 4 there. Now, 5. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's truth number 2. We cannot be friends with the world and with God. This is going to be a tough one, so just go and prepare yourself for this, okay? We cannot be friends with the world and with God. I want you to notice how he begins again, verse 4. He refers to these people, and some of these people may be us, frankly, as adulterous people. Now, we understand the word adultery. We understand what it means. We, we, we get that, but I want you to understand the spirit of what James is getting at here. At the heart of adultery is the idea of a split allegiance. So, so you've got the spouse here, and there's the history, and the marriage, and the love, and Maybe there's struggles, but there's allegiance here. And then all of a sudden, there's another person that you begin to become interested in. And you begin to think a little bit more about, right? That grows, and sometimes it grows out of control. And so there's a split allegiance. Within your heart, you've kind of decided you're going to try to love two different people. Right? James says, when you think you can love God and love the Lord, you are adulterous. Excuse me, when you think you can love the Lord and the world, you're adulterous. You can't do that. You can't choose both. Now, I want to be clear here. I want to make sure we understand what we're thinking about before we delve into this a little bit more. When James speaks of the world, I want to make sure we're clear. He's not talking about the earth, uh, the planet, you know, the, the trees and the mountains, the physical earth. He's basically, if you study scripture, especially in the New Testament, world oftentimes refers to a things or people that are opposed to God. So the world is anything that opposes the Lord. And so James says, listen, if you're trying to love the Lord while at the same time loving the things that oppose the Lord, it's adulterous. And he uses this this very difficult term in verses 4 and 5. He basically says, when you do that, you have made God your enemy. Isn't that interesting? Now here's the problem with this. This is why it's so very difficult for us because we want to skirt this line, don't we? We do want to love the Lord, and in our hearts we desire this, and we want to follow Him, but there are just some things over here we just like to keep doing. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I desire to be over here, and I want to be over here, but then there's some things I just kind of like to, I kind of like to hold on to over here, and, and I want to just kind of do these things. And so what we do is we kind of find this little tightrope, right? And we kind of, we dance this dance, or we walk this line, so we're kind of living in both worlds. James says, no! You need to wake up to this. Just a real simple point of application to help you get it. In a world that that, that involves an adulterous situation, the spouse isn't going to let you dance that line. Why do we think the Lord will? And so I wanted to think just for a few minutes and give you just a couple of very tangible illustrations and applications 
to help you understand ways you can apply this to your life. I'm going to speak to our students first. It's coming up on springtime, right? Springtime means prom or spring formal or there's different names for it now, right? It means different things to different groups of people. But there's some sort of an event coming up for our students. They get to dress up and go have fun and and, and dance. Maybe go to a nice dinner, hang out with friends. And, And that can be a fun night. There's nothing wrong with doing those things, by the way. That's good. The problem with those kinds of nights sometimes is they also mean drugs, sex, and alcohol, don't they? And so kids, students, you're going to kind of come up to this moment, some of you, maybe not all of you, I hope none of you, but there's probably going to be a moment on that night where you're given an opportunity to choose the things of the world. Now let me just go and give you a little piece of advice here. Don't wait until that moment to make this decision. If you wait until you're in that moment, it's going to be awfully hard to say no. So you kind, of have to, you kind of have to set some boundaries right now, some parameters right now. Parents, it's okay to talk with your kids about those boundaries and parameters. Give them an out if they get in that situation. How do I get out of this? Dad, mom, can I text you at any point and you come get me? Absolutely. But you need to kind of set these parameters and these boundaries now because when you kind of walk up against them and you're in those moments, it's going to be difficult to say no. But you've got to make a decision, students. You can choose in those moments to kind of trust the Lord and, the fact, and believe that He actually has a better plan for your life. Or you can buy into the things of the world and kind of get that momentary pleasure and then regret it later. Now, I'm not going to do this, but I just wonder how many of us lived a life in the past that we now regret. And I bet it wasn't because we chose the things of the Lord. I bet we kind of fell in love with the things of the world, didn't we? And maybe for a while we tiptoed that line and then we just kind of fell off into the world and we just loved it and it was a lot of fun for a time. And then we kind of came to our senses or the, or the, or the Lord uh, held us accountable for our sins and we repented and we realized that that's not who we should have been and we, we wish we could have changed that. We can't go back and do anything about it now. Students, you have this opportunity right now. Choose the Lord. Choose the Lord. All the things that you think are cool and fun right now are momentary. And there'll be a moment when you wish you hadn't done them. Men, let's talk for a second. Since we spend a few minutes with our students. They have an opportunity with prom and their formal and all those kind of examples and decisions. Men, we have decisions and difficulties every day, right? If we're we're talking about the world and falling in love with the world, men, if we were going to be honest with one another, at the top of our list of struggles are lustful thoughts. Let's Let's just be honest. If you're a man and are alive, you've had that struggle. And so it's very easy for us to kind of tiptoe this line of, you know, I'm going to love the Lord and then I'm going to kind of fall off on here and then I'm going to, we're going to go back and forth. James says you, you need to be very careful because th- those lustful thoughts, even though you think you're tiptoeing the sign, are going to lead you farther and farther away from the things of the Lord. And all of a sudden you're going to wake up and you're in a place you don't want to be. James says you, you, you can't love both women. And I just talk to the men and the students. Gossip. Hurtful words. You know, I have daughters now, so I'm kind of in this different world of understanding things that I didn't... Girls can be mean. Did you know that? Ladies, I hope you've outgrown most of that, but I think sometimes we fall back into that a little bit, right? It's easy to have hurtful words, to gossip. Ladies, you form cliques, right? And you've got your little group, and you don't want this other person a part of your group. We need to be careful the way we live. Are we going to love the world, or are we going to love the Lord? 
James says we need to be careful. Here's what some of you say. Wait a minute. Why, why, why do I have to pick? They're both good, right? Can't I do one and the other? Why do I have to pick? Why can't I love the Lord most of the week and, and still fall back on a few of these things? There's a real simple reason. Look at verse 5. Pull it up if you will for me. James explains this. Look at the second part of verse 5. Speaking of the Lord, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Here's what we need to understand about Scripture. God is a jealous God. And when you attribute things to the world that belong to him, it angers him. You understand that? When you fall in love with something over here that's sin, that angers the Lord. When you put a false idol up in your life, that angers the Lord. When you fall into this trap over here and stray from the Lord, that angers the Lord. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He deserves our worship. He deserves our righteousness. He deserves our very lives. And so when we try to walk that tightrope and, and, and kind of dance around and pick one or the other, God is a jealous God and he's angry with us. And James says we need to be careful because he sees us as an adulterous person when we do that. Right? So okay, we've, we've, we've kind of made this case now that, that anger and bitterness cause fighting. We can't love the world and the Lord. So there's kind of this problem we've now developed. What's the answer to this problem? Look at verse 7. Here's what James says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Right. So in light of everything we've seen, of the problems we've had, therefore submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, that your joy and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here's point number three. Submit to God and resist the devil. If you're looking for a good verse of Scripture memory to begin with or to add to your collection of verses you've memorized, James chapter 4, verse 7 is awfully good. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I, I love that verse for a lot of reasons. It's real simple. It's a pretty clear model. But, but one of the reasons I love it for what we're talking about in this series is that it shows action, right? There are kind of two main ideas that James gives us. Submit and resist. Both of those are action. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of truth here, and you need to kind of understand this. If you just think through, pull verse, let's just look at them real quick, just very, very quickly. Pull verse 8 up again, if you would, for me, please. If you just kind of look through that verse, right, and we've already seen submit and resist and flee and now cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, mourn and weep. Right? There, there's all sort of action here as it relates to our walk with the Lord and our fight against the enemy. Right? Here, here's a, a truth you need to get. If you aren't actively on guard against the enemy, he will defeat you. Right? Can't be passive. You can't just say, ah, oh, no big deal, I'm fine, I'm cool. No. You need to be active, not only in your faith, but active in your resistance to the enemy. And so James gives us kind of the, these two ideas, right, that we talked about. We need to submit and we need to resist. So let's talk about submitting just for a few minutes. What, what does that look like in our lives? Well, submission means we fall under authority. 
So if we're going to submit our lives to the things of Christ, we fall under His authority. So I wrote out several things that could just be very practical as you take an inventory of your life. Are you submitting these things to the Lord? Are you submitting your time to the Lord? How much time does the Lord get versus how much the world gets? Now I want to be careful because we have to work. I get that. We live in this world. But are you redeeming your time for the glory of the Lord? Do you use your time at work or at school or on the playground or on the baseball field? Do you use that time to honor the Lord, right? You don't have to have your Bible open studying in every moment to redeem that time for the Lord. Are you looking at your life as opportunities throughout your day to bring honor and glory to the Lord? Are you redeeming your time? Are you submitting your time to the Lord? How about your thoughts? Are you submitting your thoughts to the Lord? How often do you think about the things of the Lord during the course of the day? It's a good question. How often do you ask the Lord to bless you and to use you during your time of work or time with your family? Are you submitting your energy to the Lord? Next one's going to hurt. You ready? You submitting your money to the Lord. Oh, I can't afford to do that. Well, then you don't trust the Lord enough. It's just... God says, you can trust me in this. In fact, that's the only thing in Scripture. You can trust me in this and I'll show you. Bring your money and I'll prove to you I am who I say I am. Are we trusting our money? Are we submitting our money? Are we submitting our attitude to the Lord? Is your attitude one of honoring and glorifying the Lord on a regular basis or is it one of anger and bitterness and jealousy? We kind of think about our lives and, and, and how we live. How are we submitting ourselves to the Lord? And then James gives us some very clear steps here. And I, I need to just kind of go through them quickly, beginning in verse 8. And I've got these up. I want to pull them if I could. Wanna. The first one in verse 8 is draw near to God. That's the first one, right? He gives us this real clear. We're submitting. How are we doing that? Beginning in verse 8. One of the things we're doing is drawing near to God, right? In, in our Bible study, in our prayer, in our Bible memorization, in, in our obedience. All of these things draw us to the Lord. All these things deepen our walk, deepen our faith in the Lord. Are you obeying his word? That's a good question to ask when you think about submission and trusting the Lord. The next two, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. There's kind of a couple of neat ideas with this. James is writing to believers here. He's writing to Christians. And so as Christians, one of the things we have to understand is, is we need to constantly be repenting of the sins we've committed But the second thing I think really applies here is for the unbeliever that may hear this or read it, right? The the first way you can submit to God is by repenting of your sins and accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. And then we live that out throughout our our Christian walk. He says we, we mourn and weep. Joy turns to gloom, right? When we begin to realize our sins and our failures, we understand what it costs us and our joy turns to gloom. We humble ourselves, right? That's the last one he gives us. And so there's, there's this list of things, very practical things we can do in our lives, right? But, but then he tells us, and this is the, kind of the second part of this verse 7, that we also need to resist the devil, So we need to submit to the Lord. Our our Christian walk ought to be submitting to the Lord and resisting to the devil. How do I resist the devil? There's two very simple things I want to give you. The first one is, it's kind of a circular argument here, but the first way we resist the devil is by submitting to the Lord. If you're not submitting to the Lord, you're not going to resist the devil. But here's the second way that we resist the devil. Run. Flee. Don't Don't even get close to that line. 
You know, if the Lord's over here and his will and the world's over here and there's a line here, don't even get close to the line. We're, we're going, my family's going this summer out to Wyoming. We, we've been kind of planning this family vacation for a while now. And, and my parents are going to go. My sister, we're going to go to Yellowstone and Grand Tetons. And I went there when I was a kid. And so we're excited. I'm really looking forward to going. There's a lot of beautiful things to see. A lot of wildlife out there. I mean, they're, they're literally grizzly bears and buffalo and elk and just a lot of cool coyotes and wolves and all this cool stuff. But it's interesting if you start reading and doing a little research, every year in those national parks, people are killed by these animals. You're like, that's kind of scary. Not, not very many, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. They're not killed because the animal just kind of attacks them out of nowhere and runs up and gets them on a trail. They're attacked and killed because they think they can get real close to this animal and get a picture. Just look it up. They think there's a, there's a bear. If we be very quiet, come on, we just get right up here. Ten feet, eight feet, six feet. And you get in the, kind of in the range of that bear and he attacks and these people die. It's sad. They've got this misguided idea that they can inch up to this line and be fine. It's not the case. It's not the case with our walk either. James says you need to be very, very careful. You don't need to get close to this line. You need to flee and resist when the enemy attacks because if you're not active in your resistance, you're going to lose. Now let's finish up. I need to finish up. James chapter 7 verse 10. I love how it ends. Submitting yourself, trusting the Lord, all those things. Bring up verse 10 if you would please. He ends this little section by saying, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, here's the beautiful part about humbling and submitting and trusting the God and trusting in the Lord. We don't do it because we're forced to. We do it because we understand the benefit of the Lord over here. You understand that? We understand, if you've ever experienced the true joy of the Lord or the peace that comes from Christ, you don't ever want to leave this over here. When you've never experienced it, when you've never really trusted and you kind of dabble in the things of the world, you get confused. James says, humble yourself, trust the Lord, submit to him, resist the devil, and the Lord will exalt you. That's the life we ought to lead. Man, if you're walking that tightrope right now and you're confused and you're struggling and you think the things of the world are better, please believe me. Believe the word of the Lord. Believe another godly Christian around you. The joy of the Lord far outweighs any happiness you'll find in the world. That's who we want to be. We want to trust the Lord, seek him, submit to him, flee from the devil and allow him to use us to do incredible things for his kingdom and for his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to study your word. It's so clear, Father, and understandable and challenging to us. It's compelling, Lord. It forces us to re-examine oftentimes our lives. And so I just pray right now, Father, I pray as we consider this idea of loving the things of the Lord versus the things of the world, you would give us clear direction. The world is strong, Lord, and the pull of the world is strong. And I just pray that we would just understand your calling and your grace and your peace on a totally different level, Father. Give us the ability to hear from you, be an encouragement to us, strengthen us in our walk. May we serve you, Father, with joy and with hope. 
And may you receive honor and glory and always say and do. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar's open. You can come and pray. You can speak to me. This is your opportunity to draw near to God. You come as we sing together. just a few weeks and they have what calls a safe families um, and um, this is maybe the first stable home she's had and uh, they have a hearing tomorrow with a judge and uh, they're going to decide whether or not they get to keep her or she gets to go somewhere else and uh, we're going to pray for her wow I'll just let her talk for a second precious little girl that they have already fallen in love with and, and have a desire to help and so the the maddening things is completely out of their hands at this point. They basically don't have anything to do other than pray. But you know what? Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do. And so uh, I'd like to pray for her and for this family. So many others of you have been involved in safe families. I talked to a family this morning earlier. They said, we're getting a nine-year-old girl tomorrow and we're going to be with her. And Wow. I mean, the, the difference that... Um, sorry. difference that we can make in the lives of these children is eternal it's eternal no greater calling so join with me if you would please as I pray for this family okay father we thank you for this precious family lord for this precious little baby lord we don't have any control over any of this but you do and we trust you completely you are the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And this judge tomorrow, Lord, that's going to rule, we pray he would rule correctly, Father. But we understand that you are in complete control of her life. And so bless her, use her, Father. We pray that years and years and years from now, when many of us are gone, that you will still be working in her heart and her life, Father. I pray for these other children that are in the homes of our church members through safe families. I pray, Father, for great things in their hearts. I pray for, Lord, eternal decisions that will be made in these families with these children, Father. Lasting decisions that will impact not only this world, but your kingdom. And, Father, we just trust you. We love you. We, we commit this situation to your hand. Do great things, Father. May you again in this situation tomorrow display your power and your glory for all to see. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's only two of you now. Where's everybody else? Y'all come on down. Guys, come on. Y'all come on in. Okay, they're praying. Okay, somebody here. Perfect. This is, this is an exciting day for us. Good thing I don't wear mascara. It'd be bad right now. So, exciting day for us because we've been going through a process at our church of uh, deacon ordination. We don't do it very often, but when we do, we spend a lot of time praying through it and thinking through it. So I'm going to spend just a couple minutes. I know we're a little long on time, but it's worth it. I want you to hear the process we've gone through in order to get to where we are right now. We started back last summer in August asking the church to nominate uh, men to serve as deacons. We got a, a pretty long list, 25 or 30 names of men that, that, that the church felt like could serve as deacons. 
We gave you about four weeks, I think, to submit those names. And that was a great process, a healthy process for our church. And then, as far as you know, that kind of just disappeared. It didn't disappear. We took it and been working on it ever since. And so I want you to know what happened with those names. Uh, we took those names and basically gave them to the deacon leadership and the deacons. And they started kind of whittling names away. And the first way they did it is if, if there's a guy that got one or two or three names, we kind of took them off. We said, you know, let's, let's, let's take the top half of the list, the, guy, the guys that got multiple different people. A lot of the church felt like they should be a deacon. We started the process with just these few guys. We kind of whittled the list down. We took it to the deacons and said, here's the list we've kind of whittled down. Let's examine 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Acts chapter 6, which are the two portions of Scripture that speak about deacons and what deacons are supposed to do and required to do. And let's whittle the names down a little bit more. And so we kind of whittled the list down to even fewer names. We reached out to the guys on the list and we said, listen, the church has nominated you. The deacon leadership and the deacons believe you could serve. Would you enter into a season of prayer, studying those scriptures, asking the Lord for his guidance about you being ordained as a deacon? They agreed to, and after that process, several of them came back and said, you know what, thank you so much. I'm honored, but I don't feel like it's my time to serve. So the list got a little bit shorter. After we whittled it down even farther, we sent that group of guys a long questionnaire, right? The Bible says they should be tested. We sent them a long questionnaire. They answered questions about their faith, their service, their families, their history. Uh, a lot of difficult questions they had to think through and understand. They sent that back to us. And then even in that process, some of the guys said, you know what? I just don't want to do it. So the numbers whittled down even a little bit more. Then beginning in January of this year, we took the guys that were left and we started training them. They went through a pretty extensive process. The last many Wednesday nights when you guys are serving or taking your Deep Roots classes, these guys have been in a room. Bobby, who's the chairman of Deacons, Russell, who's the vice chairman of Deacons, Bobby Lumpkin, Russell Cleveland, myself, uh, did the training with some of our current and former Deacons. Some of you guys were involved in that process. Just so you'll be aware, I just want to give you a couple of things we, we worked on with these guys. Biblical role of a Deacon. Acts 6 review, 1 Timothy 3 review, spiritual maturity, the importance of the deacon in the local church, a study of Romans chapter 12 and our deacon covenant. We spent a lot of time with these guys talking, training, encouraging, challenging them. It's been a very lengthy, robust, and I believe incredibly healthy process. Uh, I think it's biblical the way we did it. I think we followed uh, what the scriptures command us to do. And I want to read because... <clears throat> Just being completely transparent, this is the first group of deacons I've ordained. And so I've gone into this with fear and trepidation. I've thought a lot about this. I've prayed a lot about this. I've talked to our deacons a lot about this. I wanted to read from our bylaws because we have to follow what it says. At such a time as the deacons and the pastor agree upon the need of ordaining additional deacons, it will be the responsibility of the deacons and the pastor to prayerfully seek out men scripturally qualified to serve. We've done that. We've, we've fulfilled our mandate. We've fulfilled our requirements. And so here we are now. These six men remain. Okay? You probably already know them, but if you don't, in, in no particular order, I've got them alphabetically. Ben Comerford, Brian Doman, Joseph Dowden, Jared Humphreys, Adam McCurry, Larry Ninus. Now, here's what's going to happen. We have two weeks kind of left in this process. We're going to do one final meeting with these guys sit down individually, talk through the process, give them one more chance because they may say, you know what, the Lord's just said to me, I don't need to finish this out. Thank you, but no thank you. And that's fine. If any of you men feel that way, that's exactly what you need to do. Okay? But if they agree through the process that the Lord's still calling them after all we've gone through, then on the 26th of March at 6 p.m. right here, we're going to ordain these guys. Okay? Now, I want to do something a little bit different. I, I've poured over the... You're going to laugh at me. I've poured over these bylaws, bylaws of other churches. I've talked extensively to these guys and to our staff. 
we, we just kind of thought through what the church needs to do at this point. You've already put the names in. You've kind of been through the process. We talked about should we vote, should we not vote. The, the bylaws do not call for a vote. And so we're going to stay to the bylaws. But I want to be very careful. And I want to give you the chance right now, just through um, verbally, through your applause or whatever, just to affirm these men, thank them for what they're doing, and let them know that we support them in this process. Would you do that with me, please? This is, if you know these guys at all, and I know them all very well, this is an incredible group of men. I'm honored that we've gotten to this point with them. I'm honored to be their pastor and to serve alongside them. And I'll ask you then on the 26th of March to join us right here for an ordination service to ordain these guys as deacons of Rosemont Baptist Church, okay? All right, fantastic. Let me pray for us. They're going to stay up here. You're welcome to come and speak to them if you'd like. Give them your support. Have prayer with them. Father, we thank you for just an incredible service, Lord, of prayer and praise and worship and study and, and talking of deacons, Father, and children. And, and Lord, you're, just, you're in charge of all of it. It all falls within your reign, Lord. And so we just love you and we, we trust you and we, we submit all these things to you. We're sinful, incompetent humans, Father. Myself, chief. But we serve a perfect God who has a perfect will and a perfect plan. And so we trust you. Even in our failures, Father, we look to you. Strengthen us, encourage us, use us to do great work for your kingdom. And may you receive honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Come speak to these men. We'll see you back next Sunday morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.